0: Okay, if you haven't caught on yet, uh, the last uh, week and now this week we've had uh, sermon notes, and so uh, please take those out if you have a pen or, uh, or a pencil. Uh, you can follow along with us. There are fill fill-in-the-blanks here. And then on the back, there are questions that you might want to take home with you and ponder with your family or your small group or whatever it might be. Uh, but the, this is for your benefit and blessing, and I hope that, that you like those um, So today we're talking about our second lesson in the Hebrews 11 series called By Faith. And Tyler started us off last week about biblical faith, as we talked about biblical faith. This week we're going to talk about Noah, By Faith Noah. Um, And what do you think about when you think about Noah and the ark? You know, uh, what what image does uh, that conjure up in your mind? Uh, For me, it's uh, a boat with hay and straw on the inside and a plank, and these animals going up two by two, possibly a giraffe or two up there, and, and then an old man kind of directing traffic with a staff in his hand, and that would be Noah. And you may not see it very well, but, but that's the kind of picture that comes up in my mind. It's a picture from Sunday school. It's a picture from our children's Bibles. And it's not a bad picture, yet it's an incomplete picture of what the story conveys. So your first point today, the Sunday school picture of Noah and the flood is an incomplete picture, fill that in, it doesn't tell the full story. Because the full story is that this story is about sin and judgment and the need for a savior, sin and judgment and a savior. So really, this story points us to Jesus. Think about that. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is about Jesus. It's either pointing to Jesus, telling us about Jesus and his life, or pointing us to the time when he will come again to judge the living and the dead. It's all about Jesus. So here's the second point. Not only is the Sunday school picture of the flood incomplete, fill that in, the story of Noah and the ark is really a prefigurement of the gospel itself. In other words, Noah points us to Jesus, and that's the title of the sermon today. So we're going to go over three brief points today. One is, why judgment? You know, there's judgment in the flood, and a lot of people look at God and say, God is love, God is mercy, why would God bring judgment upon the earth? Why judgment? Number two, who is judged in the story? And number three is, who then can be saved from judgment? Okay, those three things. So why judgment? Why must God send the flood? Well, if you remember how the Bible begins in Genesis 1, it talks about a God who created everything that we see around us out of nothing, right? And with each successive day, God's miracles and wonders get better and better. He creates light and darkness. He creates the sun and the stars and the moon and all the planets in their their, their planetary directions. He created the, the plants and the animals and the various species and varieties And after each day of five days, what did he say? That is good. That is good. It was a good creation. Then on the sixth day, he outdoes himself. Now, he didn't need for us to be created. God is fully God within himself. He doesn't need us. But out of love, he created us on the sixth day. Not only created us, but he infused his image and likeness into our souls. So we're special. And we're formed to have a relationship with God. So your next blank is God formed us for himself and created us to enjoy a personal relationship with him and to enjoy him forever. I love that one phrase in Genesis where it said that God would walk among them in the cool of the day. They were friends with God. They enjoyed harmony and friendship with God. And on that sixth day, God looked down on his children, Adam and Eve, and said, man, They are very good. I love them so. They are wonderfully made. In fact, the psalmist sings out in joy in Psalm 139, 14. He says, I praise you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But we all know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says, right? The story didn't stop there. In fact, Adam and Eve chose sin over God. They chose disobedience over obedience to God. They exchanged the love of their creator for the lies of the serpent, and they broke God's heart in the process. On that infamous day, God kicked them out of the garden, and not soon thereafter, Cain killed Abel, and a successive uh, ramping up of violence came into the world such that at the time of Noah, the world was profoundly broken. It looked nothing like God had intended in the beginning. Let's look at that. When God looks down now in Genesis 6, 5, here's what God sees. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And get this, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Every intention, evil continuously only. So now God looks down upon his creation And he sees a profoundly broken creation in need of redemption, in need of rescue. If you jump down to verse 11, you'll see it's, it's very clear. We're in need of rescue. It says, now the whole earth was corrupt in God's sight. So he's looking down and we're corrupt. The earth was filled with violence, ramping up of violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their own way on the earth. So why judgment? Because God must intervene. So here's the next fill in the blank. The people of Noah's day had turned their faces from God and were consumed with violence towards one another. God must intervene. It's like a loving father who looks down upon his broken children who once walked with them in the cool of the day and now they've turned their faces far from him and their hearts have been turned to consuming from being consumed with violence towards one another. So here's why God had to intervene. God's heart is filled with pain, and unless God intervened, his creation would be lost forever. Somebody's got to intervene. Now, he intervenes with both judgment and mercy in this story. And when you hear the word judgment, you probably recoil a bit, don't you? It probably sticks in your crawl just a little bit. And it should, and that's good. Do you know why we have a problem with judgment? Because you have the image of God in you. Even though it's darkened by sin, God's image still tells you that judgment is a terrible thing. Judgment is not something that God loves. And if your sinful heart can tell you that judgment is bad, think about how God's pure heart sees judgment. He hates judgment 10,000 times more than we ever could. He despises the idea that he must judge sin. So throughout the Bible, God holds out to the very last moment before sending his judgment. The Bible says that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Ezekiel 18, 32 promises, God says, for I have no pleasure... In the death of anyone, declares the Lord, so turn to me and live. Turn to me and live. God wants us to return to him and live, to walk with God again in the cool of the day, to enjoy friendship with God once again. In fact, he wants it so bad that he is delaying judgment for our benefit. Second Peter three, eight, I love this. This is how God's heart works. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Why? Because the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he's being patient towards us, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance to walk with God in the cool of the day once again. So here's the deal. God is has two complementary natures. He is perfectly just, and by his nature must at some point judge sin because he's righteous and holy. And yet at the same time, God is perfectly merciful and absolutely loving. The psalmist in Psalm 85:10 sums up those two wonderful natures of God that always comes to into play. He says this, well, I'll. He says, steadfast love and truth meet together in God. So you got truth and holiness and steadfast love. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. I love that. Steadfast love and truth meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. So when God intervenes, it's always redemption through judgment. Redemption through judgment. Now, Here's how that comes into play: the same waters that crushed sinful people whose heart had drawn far from God, are the same waters that lifted high the ark and provided salvation for Noah and his family. It's both the truth of judgment and the mercy of God's grace and God's love. So God establishes create, God establishes a, a covenant with Noah. He says, "I love you. I'm going to establish a covenant." God puts Noah and his family in the ark. He seals them in the belly of the ship to protect them on the high waters. And his love is on display for them. Judgment for sin, love for Noah, and salvation. So that's why judgment. Who is judged in the story? Well, I think Jesus is a pretty good interpreter of Scripture. So I want to ask Jesus, why were people judged in the story? And in Matthew 24, he says... There's going to come another day of judgment, and it'll be like the day of Noah and his family. And in verse 36, he says, Concerning that day, no one knows the hour, not even the angels, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. For it will be as in the days of Noah, so it will be when the Son of Man comes to judge the living and the dead, as we say in the creed. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage you got to say to yourself, why is Jesus ticked off because they were marrying and eating and drinking? Well, here's the deal. Jesus is basically saying they were so consumed about doing their own personal lives that they had forgotten the Lord of their life. They had forgotten all about God. So that's the next fill in the blank. What Jesus is telling us is that these people were so focused on what we call in America living the good life That they had forgotten the Lord of their lives. They had turned their face far from God. What Jesus is telling us is to turn back. They were raising their families, which is good. They were eating and drinking, perhaps wondering about what school they should go to, perhaps what kind of job and career and and, uh, all that kind of stuff. But they had forgotten that God was the center of their existence. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus will say, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Where does your heart stand with God this morning? Have you honored him with your lips, but have you forgotten him in your heart? You see, God formed us to walk with him. And the only ones who were judged in that story were those who had forgotten all about God. And they stopped walking with God. Friends, don't be like that. Ezekiel 18, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord, So turn your face to me and live. So God promises to us that anyone who turns to him with saving faith will live. So who then can be saved? Last point. Well, of course, Noah was saved and his family. How do we know uh, on what basis he was saved? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, look at this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, remember drawing near, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him, seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet to be, uns- yet to be seen, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Faith righteousness given to us as a free gift. You see, Noah had saving faith. That's what saved him. This is one of the first times in the Bible where we come across what's called justifying faith, faith that is a gift to us that makes us justified in the eyes of God. Still the same sinful people we were before, but because of faith, God reckons us as righteous, He does the same thing, Galatians, when Paul talks about Abraham. He said long before the law came into play, Abraham had faith in God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He walked with God and through faith was made righteous in God's presence. Here today, Noah's faith reckons it to him as righteousness. Was Noah perfect? Absolutely not. Read a little bit further in the story. Get to chapter 9. He's like a, a, a freshman off at college. I mean, he gets naked and drunk and exposes himself to his children, okay? Not a good scene, okay? Not a perfect person. But it was reckoned to him as righteousness because of his great faith in God. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you've been saved through your faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God and not the result of your works so that no one can boast except for in God salvation's a gift my friends noah had salvation because of his faith now there are four things and i'll briefly hit hit on these that point us to a greater salvation a greater savior the waters of that first flood it cleansed the earth and it actually began to abate the sin in the world but it did not destroy or completely get rid of the sin in the world only Jesus, through the waters of baptism and through faith in what he has done for you and for me, can thoroughly cleanse your soul from all unrighteousness. So the waters point to the waters of baptism. Secondly, the ark was sealed with a pitch, an oily resin, same sort of oily resin that uh, Moses, was, was his, uh, his little um, container was sealed in that kept him alive on the waters of the Nile. That same word for pitch is often used for covering in Hebrew, but also used um, for atonement. And so while the waters were kept out by the pitch, it is the atoning blood of Jesus that seals every nook and cranny in the sinner's heart and allows us to stand before God. And instead of looking down and seeing sinful man, he once again looks down at us and sees his sons and daughters. I love you. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. I love you. Thirdly, the ark lasted for 40 days and 40 nights, kept them suspended and saved from the flood waters. It is through faith in Jesus Christ that the church is saved in faith. You know, many churches, this church also has, has some ribs up there. Oftentimes it looks like the underbelly of a ship. And that's intentional. Because we find salvation through Jesus Christ, through the church, through the preached word, through the sacrament, through the gathered body, through Bible study, through prayer together. We are sealed by God in salvation. I love my old Methodist hymn that we used to sing, uh, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. You can't have that salvation removed for you. You are in Christ and he is in you. And while judgment, number four, will come one day ultimately, and that's what the flood points to, the coming again of Jesus to judge the living and the dead, you can rest assured that you are safe through faith in Christ Jesus. Now here's a word of warning. Everybody, when he comes again, will be on one side or the other. You'll be in the boat, in the ark, in Christ, or you'll be outside. Can you imagine that day when that door was sealed, After after Noah had preached to them 120 years of warnings and those people were outside and it started to rain and it was too late for them to make a choice, some will be in in faith, some will be outside of faith. Those who turn away from God, those who turn to Jesus, there's one door to the boat. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except for who through him. He is the doorway to our salvation. And so here's the deal. In reverent fear and faith, Noah trusted the promises of God. Noah saved himself and his family. And if you're outside the boat today, I would call upon you to embrace the saving faith that saved Noah and his family and his descendants. I call upon you, get in the ark. For one day it will be too late, and one day judgment will come. And if you're so focused on this life, just doing life, marrying, giving in marriage, next job, the next big thing, turn your eyes to God today. For as Ezekiel told us, God does not seek the death of anyone, but that we might turn to him and live. On the last day when judgment comes, it'll be more than eight souls that will be saved, It'll be people from every tribe and tongue and nation, millions of people across the world. And I guarantee you, they won't be saved by their good works. They'll be saved by the grace of God through justifying faith. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we have the waters of baptism, that we've been sealed in Christ Jesus. That his atoning pitch of blood has, has thoroughly washed our souls in such a way that you can look upon us again and say, You are my beloved sons and daughters, because we are in the image of Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus. He is the true ark. So, dear Lord, we thank you today for our salvation. If we are outside the door in our hearts today, give us the faith to step through it, dear Lord, to put our trust in Jesus and his saving work. And, dear Lord, when you come again to judge the living and the dead, May we have that blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. In Christ we pray. Amen. Please stand.